What have we gotten ourselves into? That is a question that Tammy and I at times, around 2 in the morning, with two screaming, crying little boys that don't care too much about how much sleep Tammy and I have had, can cause a lot of discouragement, it can cause us to lose some hope, and it can cause a lot of anger on our part, not only on our children's part. But it's times like these that we, we find it helpful to have the biblical backdrop, a biblical framework in going forward and understanding the situations that aren't necessarily explicitly addressed in Scripture. I want to talk about one verse today. We're going to be really hovering on that one verse. It's Proverbs 22.6. I think this verse will serve as a, a source of hope, a source of encouragement, But I also think that this verse is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It's got to be at least the top ten misunderstood verses in the Bible. And through misunderstanding this verse, I think that it has caused a lot of uh, a lack of hope and discouragement. So it's my hope today that what we'll do is we'll jump into this text, we'll understand the text, and we're going to understand the parameters around the text so that we can understand what God's Word says for us today. As I said, Proverbs 22.6. If, if you didn't know the, the, te- the, the text that went along with this verse, you, you know it one way or the other. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from him. First thing starting out, we have to understand here that this is a commandment from the Lord. This is something that the Holy Spirit has moved upon the writer of Proverbs and moved in such a way that he has penned these words and he has penned them not in the form of a question, but he has penned them in the form of a command. We find commands all throughout Scripture and I think there are some that we in general take more, uh, more close to heart than others. What's some of those? Go ye therefore. That's a big one in Southern Baptist life and prayerfully it's a big one here at Mount Pleasant. Go ye therefore. Make disciples. Baptize. That's one that we we dedicate a lot of resources to, not only money, but we dedicate a lot of time and effort to. That's a big one. Another one that just strikes out in my mind is be ye holy. This is something that we're called to do, to live a life that's separate from the world and separated unto God. These are two commands that are just, two that just jump out of the pages at me that we read, and we don't think that they're negotiable at all. We read them as commands, we accept them as commands, and for the most part, we as Christians seek to live these out. We go... And we seek to separate ourselves from the Lord. But if there's something about this verse that doesn't catch our hearts and our minds quite the same way, but at the same time, grammatically, it is no less forceful. It is an imperative. It is not optional. Jesus Christ, God, is not asking us, what do you think about raising your children up after the ways that I would have them? He's saying, raise up a child. Raise a command. At the same time, we have to understand another thing here. This is a proverb. And the, the, the writers of Proverbs, there's more than one, but the main writer is Solomon. Solomon wrote most of Proverbs, and he's known as the most wise man that has ever walked the face of the planet. And in recognizing that, you recognize that the genre of a proverb is wisdom. It is a general basis for wisdom. So that in order to be considered wise and to have a life that is characteristic of, of being wise, we have to seek to fulfill the demands of Proverbs. So it's not only addressed to a parent explicitly, but this is a general guideline for life. So although it, it, 
the most immediate meaning to this text is a parent and a child. You notice that the word parent is not there. It says raise. There's no parents raise. It's important because we all have to catch that. And I'm going to explore this, what the implications of this are later on the text. But we have to get that there's a broad application. Everyone here, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about making the application later on. But we have to get this first. We're, we're honoring Father's Day and we're celebrating what it is to be parents. We, we have some of these that are, uh, these sayings up here that we've had children write. Some of them are a little funny. Some of these are a little bit more serious. But the thing that we all have to get, don't tune out today just because you're not a parent. Even if you're a child, I'm going to be speaking to you. You need to get this because it is a reciprocal relationship that has to happen both ways. If one side of the team fails, it all comes apart. The wording here is very interesting if, uh, if, you, if you delve deep into the language here of training. It brings to mind a skill or something that you're working on to master. Think of something like an Olympian or somebody that's trying to master the, uh, the violin or something along those lines. There's, there's a mastery, there's a skill set that is not there that the parent is seeking or the, the spiritual leader is seeking to instill into the child. It, it involves hours and hours and hours of discipline that lacking otherwise if the parent did not do this. It also points to the need that we, we need to shift our focus a little bit. I have such a desire to do all the things with my sons that uh, I think or any other dad, play baseball, play soccer, anything like that. But I, as I meditate on those things and I think about those things, it brings about a point of conviction in my life where I start to think, how many hours are going to go into soccer, playing in the backyard, playing with water, playing, doing whatever? What is the burden on my heart to seek my sons to be mastering in their own life? How many hours will that take? And quite frankly, many of us are more concerned with our children mastering baseball, mastering soccer, mastering whatever it is. It could be knitting. It could be something that is completely godly in some sort, but it is grotesquely abused and becomes something that takes place. It becomes an idol. And that should convict us. It should bring us about back to God and make us think, what are we doing? How are we causing our child to be master of something that is not going to be eternal in value? At the same time, there's always time to repent of that and to turn around and bring it back around. It's never too late to, to refocus, to come back to the child and look at the discipline that you're doing and invest in the things that are going to bring him into a godly nature. The word it actually means, when the, the very first word there, training, it actually means to put something in the mouth. And it brings to the imagery that the, the, the text brings is putting something in the mouth. It's actually a bit, a horse bit. Now, there are times I'm sure that we think that we might want to stick something in our child's mouth just to get them to be quiet. But the, the, the imagery here is a, of a training. Think of a, a horse and a bit. Now, this is, a, this is a very important process because you think about a horse. I love watching cowboy shows. You see a, a horse out on the prairie, and it's bucking, it's going wild. And there's a process that, that horse has to go through of actually being broken so it can be ridden. This is the, the imagery, the language here is exactly the same. And the thing of it is, is that horse bit, that training, that discipline that can be instilled into a child's life and a child's mind and a child's heart is the same process for the Lord. It keeps that child usable for the Lord. It keeps that child safe. 
Now, the difficult thing about this is you see a horse being broken, have a bit in its mouth, especially when it's first starting out. It looks like a very painful process. And I don't think that training up a child is any different than that. When that, that having to say no, having to put boundaries around that child's desires and having to do things in that child's life that you don't want to do and they, they don't really want to do, but you know that it's the right thing to do. So you struggle through that together. It's a very painful process, but it's one that I've seen in my own life that I'm very thankful for with my own parents. And it's one that I think that if most children were very honest about, the parameters that you as parents are putting around their child's life, they're thankful for that. Because what they can do is they can blame you. They can blame you for the safeguards that you put around their life in a thankful manner. I have actually had conversations with children that are, you know, the, the, the kids are going out to the party tonight, there's going to be drinking. But I can't go. And I don't have to look like a dork because I can't, can't go. I can just blame my parents. And they're thankful for that safeguard because it's amazing how wonderful children want to have safeguards in life because they know. And if that safeguard's not there, they'll think, well, you know what? I, don't have to, I can go and I don't have to participate. I can go. But over and over and over again, that ungodly influence without the safeguard there, without them receiving the godly no creates a, a vacuum, and it gets filled with ungodliness. So it's a painful process, but it's a necessary process that keeps us from sin. It also has an idea of consecration and dedication. I think that so often uh, we, we don't think of ourselves as having a big, important role. I think that so often if you look at the, the news, you look at commercials, you look at uh, the typical sitcom I was watching on Fox News this morning how we've transitioned from Father's, Father Knows Best all, to way, all the way to Al Bundy and Married with Children. And I think that as a culture, we've immersed ourselves in that and we've learned that and we think, you know, the dad's the goofball, the mom's the, the person who, you know, she's liberated, she does what she wants and she kind of runs the show. And the, the thing of that is, is that there's a downplaying in both of those roles because God has a special calling for not only dads, but mom, there are equally important roles. There are different roles, but they're equally important roles. And we need to reverse that. We need to, to buck that in our society and realize that we are called to a very holy calling. Just as God calls a man into uh, the full-time mission as a pastor, just as God has called you to be a Christian, there is something very holy, very right, and very good about the calling that God has placed on his, your life as a parent. And you, there's, there's no, well, I don't know if I was called to that. If you have a child in your life, if you have a child in your life, you are called to be that child's disciple maker. It is not an easy process, but it is a very important process. It is a holy calling. As we move through the text where it says train up, it says a child. Literally, this is meaning someone who is not weaned. So it's referring specifically to a very, very young person. And there's something very practical about that. Because if you get on a child from day one, and you train them from day one till day X, your life is much easier as a disciple maker. Now, that doesn't excuse you from missing from day one and starting later on. But the, the goal here, the, the writer here is saying, start from the beginning. Train up a child. Somebody that is as young as my four-month-old child, he is my disciple. I'm a disciple maker. I can't start when he's two, when he's 10, when he's 15. It's going to be too late. And the later I wait, the harder my life is going to be. 
Now, it says a child. This certainly refers to your child. But you know what? This may not refer to somebody that is your child. And that's something that is my heartbeat in children's ministry. We have so many children here that get dropped off on a Wednesday night. They get dropped off on a Sunday morning. And parents will literally come in and say, Hey, what time do I need to be back? I've got to go run my errands. And you know what? There's a time and place for that. I'm not, I'm not outright saying that's a bad thing. But there are kids whose parents do that. And they're left here and they have no spiritual mentor. They have nothing going on in their lives outside of what happens inside these walls. And I am so, so thankful because there are so many people I could call out right now that are involved. They're investing. They see the need and they are putting their life on, into somebody that really, for all intents and purposes, they would not have known otherwise. But they see a need that that child needs training and there is no trainer. And let me tell you something. A 1 to 50, a 1 to 20 ratio is not going to happen. The smaller the ratio that we get, the more crowded the children's ministry comes in, and also the student ministry comes with people that have a burden to help children, the better our children we're going to be and the more this church is going to grow. That we're called to be, step out on faith. I was getting to pray with Michael Moore about something this week, and he said something that really struck me. Don't watch other people step out from the boat and see the blessing. I would, I would challenge every person here, if you're not involved in something, now, God may call you to different areas, but he calls you, and you get plugged in, and your life gets consumed with your Christian work. If you're not involved in something, I would, I would suggest, I would just beg you, take baby steps. We have Vacation Bible School coming up. That is something that you can make a week-long commitment on and you can get invested in a child's life. And it makes a huge difference. I've said over and over again, this is the biggest evangelistic effort the world knows as one effort. The, the, the world has never known anything like this. Vacation Bible School, the largest Southern Baptist, denom- the, the Southern Baptist is the largest denomination in the world. And by and large, throughout the summer, every Southern Baptist church does Vacation Bible School. So that's, that's uh, about 60,000 churches. Now, on top of that, you have other evangelical churches, gospel-believing churches in America, who by and large, they do vacation Bible school during the summer. And then you have it across the world. We have, we have Awana clubs. We have vacation Bible schools. We have things like that across the world that we support. But there's a need right here in these walls. And we have a great need for people to just to connect. I feel like sometimes when I was a kid, my mom and dad would say, you know what, you need to get outside and play. There are a lot of people in this church that are retired and they have the ability to go outside and play with children. And that's all that's involved. All you have to do is step outside of your, your house and invest in kids for a week. And it is a wonderful thing because you might actually get the blessing of leading the first person to the Lord that, in your entire life. And you won't ever regret that. And you'll be praising the Lord for that throughout all eternity. There are also implications here uh, not necessarily just for a, a physical child, but a spiritual child too. It's wonderful to see how we have people coming forward on a weekly basis. We have people getting baptized, not just children. We have adults coming forward. We're gonna have, we had some last week. We're going to have some next week. But we have spiritual children. The writer of Hebrews speaks of this, where we have people that when they start out in their spiritual walk, they're drinking milk. And they drink milk, they drink milk. And they, once, once they nail down that milk, Eventually, they grow until they're meat eaters. And at that point, they can be a disciple maker. And that, that, that happens 
in these walls on Sunday mornings where, where people are coming alongside spiritual babies and discipling them. And there's needs for that as well. We have Sunday school that comes on every Sunday morning. We have two hours of Sunday school. We've got small groups throughout the weeks. We've got Disciple University that happens uh, several times throughout the year. Don't let Satan rob you of your blessing of teaching. There are so many people here that have been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years that have never taught. Step out on faith. Ask God, can I teach? Do you want me to teach? And let me tell you something. God is never going to tell you he doesn't want you to make disciples. Because he commanded it. And because he commanded it, he will empower you to do that. So prayerfully consider, how can you get plugged into our teaching ministry? If you are one that is not a novice who has been plugged into this church and has been fed, seek a way to be feeding others. We've been talking about the training and the children, and it's a very logical question for us to be asking, well, what, what is the way? Okay, I get this. I'm supposed to be training. I'm supposed to be training a child, but what am I supposed to be training them to do? And quite frankly, it's, it's a progress. Uh, I'm the type of person that when, even when my child was born, I, look up, I go to a nursery, it's filled with babies, and I think, wow, what a bunch of sinners. I do. I think of that, I say, wow, <laughs> there is a room full of people that need the Lord. And the thing of it is, is that from day one, train them in the way that they should go is evangelism. John 14 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This sets its foundation from day one with all children, evangelism. And that sounds like a funny thing because I evangelize Jude. Jude is four months old and I evangelize him. I pray over him. Tammy and I pray over him because we know that even when he gets older and he's able to understand what we say, the work is not dependent upon our work. The work is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And we pray over him and we pray over Elijah. Listen, we want this child to be saved. That is primary target right there. It's the first goal. First things first. It's foundational. And you know what? That's, I think that's where a lot of people get mixed up on things is because so often we want to get them into Sunday school. We want to get them looking like a Christian, but they're not a Christian yet. And we have children that have been here for all their lives that have not made a decision for the Lord. And quite frankly, I believe that we have people that are well into their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that have been here all their lives. They've been in church all their lives that have not truly made a decision for the Lord. And that is something that happens because the Holy Spirit has not moved. And that is my prayer. I pray this throughout the week, that the Holy Spirit would move. Because with a congregation as large as this is, there are people that show up on a regular basis that either think they're okay or they know they're okay. They know they're not okay. And they've hardened their hearts. And I'm here to tell you that evangelism is first. Become a Christian first, no matter how old you are. And that's how change comes about. What does the way look like afterwards? In Luke 10, 27, these are the words of Jesus as well. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So this sets the foundation for post-salvation, discipleship. Did you catch that? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that can be a little off-putting. And the people in the crowd are probably thinking, my goodness, anything else, Jesus? That's my entire being. And Jesus would come back and say, that's the point. It is your entire being. You are called to be a living sacrifice. It is holistic. There is nothing that's not affected by Christendom. If you are a Christian, it starts on the inside and it pours onto the outside. There is absolutely nothing that is not affected by your, your relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from church attendance. It goes all the way to what you watch on TV, how you spend your time, your athletics, your hobbies, your knitting, your sewing, your cooking, everything. Now, do you think that that happens One day a week here. I'll go back to that, what I said earlier on. We take kids to soccer games. We take kids to baseball games. And we expect them to perform at the level that they've been practicing. But so oftentimes, we take kids to church one day a week. And then we expect them to get it and live out as Christians all the days of their lives. It's impossible. We're setting our kids, we're setting ourselves up for failure because we haven't thought of Christianity as a holistic thing that we need to attack. In Roman numeral 2, it says the consequence and the promise. We started out with the command, and now we're going to the consequence and the promise. And this is the wonderful thing of it. This is the fruit of it. This is the fulfillment. This is the Holy Spirit working in the child's life, in the person's life. It says even when he is old. This is... This is not just getting it as a child. What this is, even when he is old, you want the child to get it when he's, when he's young. And it's a wonderful thing to see it. When I'm doing uh, uh, new life classes, when we're doing Sunday school, when we're doing Awana, and we, we want the kid to get it when we're teaching it. We don't want it to never see the kid have any fruit. But when you see the kid get it, you're like, wow, it's actually working. God is moving in this child's life. But the wonderful thing is that, is that your fruit extends upon your relationship with that child, even when he's old. And by, by definition, if the child gets it and he doesn't depart from it when he's old, by definition, he will be a disciple maker when he's older. By definition. So that's our, our, our thermometer. That's our gauge to tell whether or not they got it when they were younger. They are necessarily disciple makers when they're older. And that's a thermometer for you and me. Are you involved in being a disciple maker? Are you getting it? There is no such thing as a Christian that is not a disciple maker. It doesn't happen. God does not leave a man where he found him. He is faithful to finish the work in you. And if you are not involved in being a disciple maker, you haven't gotten it. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. That's between you and God. But you will surely be known by your fruit. And the ground level, fruit-bearing is disciple-making. And that's why it's important to set kids up for success now so they're successful later. And then we see the kingdom advance because not only have we made disciples, we've made a disciple-maker. He will not depart from it. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a, a promise that I claim over my kids. It's a promise that I claim over my kids because I, I know that there are going to be tough times. You and I go through tough times. There are times where, where I truly believe a Christian can be backslidden and have a rough time of it. Life is tough. But you know what? I claim that promise that they will not depart from it. And I think that that's why we have to understand some guidelines for that. We've gotten into the text, and now we have to understand some guidelines. First off, God's ways are not our ways. They're just simply not our ways. We cannot understand that. We have to claim the promises of Romans chapter 8. 
where he says that everything works for good to those that are called according to his, his purposes. We have to claim the promises also that the secret things are God's things. His ways are not our things. Also, God's timeline is not our timeline. And let me tell you something. I, I do think that there are people that have raised kids, had them in the church, and they had made them disciples, and the child has fallen away. So I want you to get that. I, I'm not beating you up today because I know that there are people sitting in this, this crowd today. They, they have loved the Lord all their life the best they can. They've sought to instill that into their children. They've done what they could to make disciples out of their children. Their children have grown up and their children have fallen away. And I say this as an encouragement to you. God's timeline is not our timeline. Keep praying over that child because when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will persevere. They will come back. I do believe that. I claim that promise. And you should claim that promise over a child that you feel has gone away. And quite frankly, lastly, in understanding the framework around the Scripture, we have to understand that God's idea of discipleship is not our idea of discipleship. I can't say it enough. God's idea of discipleship is not our idea of discipleship. We need to live as the disciples of Jesus lived. We need to live wholeheartedly after God, giving up everything and living after God. It is a holistic thing. You cannot give your vacations to yourself and the other 50 weeks to God. Everything that you do has to be defined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is how we begin to understand discipleship. Ask God to, to instill in you a heart for discipleship. The title of the sermon today is Who Will Train Them? And just quite frankly, I'm going to tell you, the, the, the quick answer to that is, someone will do it. Who will train them? Someone will do it. And basically what I'm, I'm trying to get at there is, your child will either be left to their own devices, and, and kids do that. We have latchkey kids, they get left off at home, they stay at home for three, four, five hours a day after school, and they're left to their own devices to kind of figure out life after, on their own. And that's not a healthy thing because they're not getting any wisdom. They're figuring things out on their own. Everything's a school of hard knocks. There's another option. The other option is that if you don't disciple your kid, someone else will. And there are a lot of ungodly influences. There are friends, there are teachers that don't know the Lord. There are people that would instill a, a worldly worldview that is completely devoid of anything to do with God. There are people that have their own ideas about what your child should do and be. And they will be more than happy to disciple your kid and the way that they think is best. And the last, last option is quite simply, and the best one is you. And don't get intimidated by this because if God has called you to be a disciple maker, he will empower you. And that's what I want to challenge you today on. I want you to take this time as we go into prayer in just a moment here to really think about, am I a disciple maker with my child? It, grandparents, am I a disciple maker with my grandchild? And quite frankly, some of you are. I know some of this is going on in the church. It's a wonderful thing. And if you are, recommit yourself on a daily basis. What am I going to do today to make my son a better disciple? How am I going to influence my daughter to be a more godly woman when she's older? And that's something you have to rededicate yourself. And I want to encourage you because that's a good thing. And I want to make sure that that keeps going on through our children's ministry, our student ministry, and on. But I would also encourage you that if you can look at yourself and say, you know what, I've blown it. I've blown it. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I've, I've put the emphasis somewhere else and my child is not being trained up. 
Even if your child is older, this is what I'd ask you to do. First, you ask God to forgive you of that. And secondly, go ask your child to forgive you of that. Tell them. Say, you know what? I have not been doing what God's called me to do. I'm still the parent. I'm still in charge. But you know what? God has laid it on my heart that we need to do life differently. And I want to encourage you right now to just prayerfully consider that. As you're given the opportunity to repent and renew your relationship on a daily basis, this is one thing that you need to, to handle, get a handle on. Because if it doesn't happen, your child will get a handle on you and they will go their own way.